Oh, man, there it is. All right, our, uh, our neighbor is a, uh, is a historian, and uh, he's part of the Allegan County Historical Society, and I mean, he knows so much about history, and, and uh, has, since we've moved in, he has given um, my family a, a great interest in, in things of history as he's shared things and the, ex- and the exciting way that he does it. Um, given us an interest, and, and one of the things that we have learned over the last number of years involves tombstone markings, tombstone markings in old cemeteries. And uh, old tombstones can have symbols or drawings on them of, of, of objects and, th- and, and things that, that may not seem to, to mean anything, but they actually have, have great significance and they tell a great deal about the person that is there, the life that they lived. And uh, speaks a lot of them. We don't see it so much on some of the modern tombstones, but, but the older ones for sure. During that period, many tombstones would have bore true, uh, true statements about the person too. And, and I ran across this. It says, on a windswept hill... In an old English churchyard stands an old tombstone. And the elements had almost erased the inscription. But you could just barely make it out. And this is what it said. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. Wow. How'd you like to have that on your tombstone, huh? Well, obviously, Arabella had a difficult time taming her tongue. And uh, what about you? What would your epitaph say? What will your tombstone say about the life that you lived? When was the last time your tongue got you in trouble? Have you ever said something that you wish you could take back? Or maybe, maybe you've been on the receiving end, some biting or thoughtless comment, you felt wounded or, or, or slandered because of it. Thomas Edison once observed, as you go through life, you are going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. Take advantage of all of them. Wow. Let's hope that we learn what Arabella Young never did, the need to tame our tongue. As we continue our study through the book of James, he's already shown us two characteristics of a mature Christian. First, in chapter 1, mature Christians are patient in trouble and trials. Second, in chapter 2, their genuine faith works. They practice the truth. God has changed your heart through the new birth. The saving faith that he granted you will inevitably show it through a life of good deeds. But now he moves from the generality of good deeds to the specifics of the words that you speak. Genuine faith yields to Christ's lordship over our tongue. Now it would be nice if that conversion that we have when we come to Christ resulted in a total and immediate makeover of the mouth, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? 
Immediately, our tongue was totally under his control. But it doesn't. Although we're a new creation in Christ, we also carry around with us the old nature of the flesh. That old flesh that still wars against the spirit. The tongue is one of the major battlegrounds in the war. To become godly people, we must war, we must wage this war daily on this front. Let's turn, to, let's turn to God's Word this morning to see what it has to teach us concerning this. Uh, again, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Go ahead, take your Bible and, and turn to that. If you don't have one with you, there's, there's a pew Bible right in front of you, and it's on page 1290, page 1290 of the pew Bible. So let's read God's Word. Starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, he, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so, though, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James, James knows that we must recognize the magnitude of the problem that we face. Otherwise, we, we won't face the problem and address it. We all tend to justify ourselves, don't we? It's easy to point to others who are really bad. We compare ourselves with how they talk. Well, maybe I'm not so bad. But James comes with these vivid illustrations to open our eyes to see just how serious our problem is. Interestingly, he never gives any advice on how to control the tongue. He just leaves you with this portrait of how huge the problem is. He's saying to tame the tongue, we must recognize the tremendous magnitude of the battle that we face. So today, today we'll look at four truths that we must recognize in order to tame our tongues. First, we must recognize the warning that James gives us here in verses 1 through 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, 
able also to bridle his whole body. In this chapter, James' immediate concern is with the speech of some teachers who may not have been teaching properly. From that immediate concern, he then launches into a wider area of use of speech among believers. First, he says that all should be teachers. The first warning that he gives is, is fairly surprising. James says that many of you should become teachers. And this seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Why would James say that Christians should rethink the idea of becoming teachers? James can't be saying that no one should be a teacher because then there would be no one to preach the gospel, right? In fact, Paul said that God gave shepherds, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints in Ephesians. God wants teachers. So what is James saying here? Well, in the early church, teachers were very important. Teachers were the point of contact for all new believers because they needed instruction in the facts of the gospel. Remember, they didn't have the Bible like we do. They didn't all have a copy of God's Word. How lucky are we that we do? They didn't have libraries of commentaries to explain it. They needed a teacher to tell them and explain it. So these teachers were the main way of building up these new believers. The, the problem, however, was that some of these teachers had the ability to communicate, but they were driven by a worldly motivation. And the Jewish synagogue's rabbis were highly respected, and the office was one that, that many parents coveted for their sons to grow into. Some liked the attention the position gave them, the influence that it held. Talked a few weeks ago about the uh, having a seat of high regard. They would take leading positions in the church. They would form cliques, and they would use their position to criticize others, to elevate themselves. Teachers had great influence and status in the early church. Really, not unlike today. Because teachers taught primarily through verbal communication, it was vital for them to control what they said. Otherwise, they could present wrong doctrine, even plain heresy. Or they could create divisions in the church by promoting themselves instead of the message of Christ. I think we see a lot of that today, too. I think they were people then as there can be today, who see teachers as having a coveted, glorious position. With the opportunity to stand in front of a group of people and give instruction. To be revered as a gifted speaker or a teacher. As if there should be any personal glory in that. In that. No shortage of people with an opinion that want to share it, right? But James gives a warning that is easily overlooked. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Do you also want to be judged more strictly? Many may want to come up and, and share their opinion, but do you want to be judged more strictly? Are you prepared to be judged with a greater strictness? This is the part that I think about. 
the part that makes me shudder every time I prepare to come up here. Certainly true that teachers are judged by other Christians more strictly, but that is not what James is talking about. James is referring to God's judgment. Teachers talk more, so they have more opportunity to not use their tongue right. The more knowledge you have, the more accountable you are for it. The words a teacher speaks can have a powerful influence over others. Luke 12.48 says, To whom much is given, much will be required. Therefore, every teacher, without exception, should do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word truth. James is not against teachers. He was one himself. Instead, he's alerting us to the great responsibility that goes with it. The desire to be in the spotlight as a spokesperson and authority was a problem then as it is now. We must help immature and undisciplined speakers grow before we give them a platform to teach. James' point is that a man should not take on the role of teacher unless God has called him to it. Because make no mistake, it is a calling. Anytime that we teach, we should keep in mind the serious fact that we will all stand before the Lord and give an account. We all stumble. James tells us this, this, this problem is both universal and continual. In verse 2 he says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle the whole body. Now here is where James moves from the teachers to everyone. Everyone stumbles, right? Everyone stumbles, and, and stumbling is embarrassing. Have you ever walked on a sidewalk, and, and your, your shoe catches the edge of the pavement, and you trip, right? You stumble a little bit. Your first thought almost subconsciously is, I wonder who saw that, right? And sometimes you'll kind of do a little, right, just to kind of cover it up, like, like you did that on purpose, like, right? Like, I'm just getting ready to go for a little jog, right? Yeah. I see every one of you guilty of it. Yeah. But not all stumbles are just a blow to our pride. Some are moral or character stumbles, and the consequences are much worse than getting a, a couple giggles at your expense. One area in which we are most likely to stumble is in the area of speech. We all stumble and we all struggle with our tongues. We all will give an account for what we say. Matthew 12, 36-37, Jesus tells us, But I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, he's not speaking of eternal damnation, but he's talking, you will give an account for every careless word that comes out of your mouth, whether you're a teacher or not. The ability to control the tongue is the mark of true maturity to the Christian, 
And maturity is what James is pushing us towards, right? So we must recognize the warning. Not many of you should teach. And we will all be accountable for our words. The next thing we must recognize to tame our tongues is the disproportionate power over the person. We see that in verses 3 through 5. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that, they, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James uses two analogies here to make the point that the tongue is small but mighty. The bit and the rudder. Now, a bit is, is relatively small. It's about five or six inches long. That's how big a bit is in general. But when you put it into the mouth of a horse, it doesn't matter how big that horse is, you can control that entire horse. And the same thing is true of a ship's rudder. It's relatively small compared to the size of the ship. But with his hand on the wheel of a tiller, the pilot can steer a huge ship, even in strong wind. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome strong, resistant forces in order to direct the horse and the ship. A horse is a a powerful animal that can do much work. It can do a lot of work. Think of these, these big draft horses and the, the trailers that they pull with these hay wagons or, or plowing a field. And they can perform stunning demonstrations of, of strength and agility, right? Seeing barrel racing or, or, or jumping. The way the, a horse, they can get a horse to prance. But only if directed as a rider takes the reins, right? A horse won't do it on its own, but a skillful rider We should let Christ bridle our mouths instead of speaking every time a thoughtless word comes to mind. He needs to direct our speech. Where a ship, a ship is a useful means of transporting cargo or people. But if the the rudder is broken, it will be at the mercy of the wind and the waves, right? And we've all seen how oil spills from large tankers can cause billions of dollars of damage all because of an uncontrolled rudder. To work properly and accomplish good things, both the bit and the rudder must be under the control of a strong hand that knows how to use them properly. In the same way, the tongue must overcome the contrary force, the flesh. And it must be under God's wise control if it is to accomplish anything good. James' point of comparison is the inordinate influence of such a small part. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. James is saying, don't underestimate the power of the tongue, because if you do, you won't be able to tame it. Proverbs 21-23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. If you control your tongue, it can direct your whole life in what is acceptable in God's sight. But if you don't, if you don't, it can get you 
the great trouble. We must hold it tight, especially as we face the currents of today's culture and society, right? Certainly heavy winds that would like to push our tongue. Proverbs has many other references to the tongue. For example, Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. If we all would read Proverbs frequently and pay attention to its wisdom, we could be a source of sweetness and healing in our homes, our church, and our communities. So James wants us to recognize the warning that we will all be held accountable for how we use our tongues, especially those of us who teach God's word. He wants us to recognize the disproportionate power of the tongue over a person. Now we must recognize the destruction it causes. We see that in verses 5b through, through 8. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James uses two more word pictures, a forest fire and tamed animals. The first, the first two analogies that we looked at, the, the bit and the rudder, were directed at the tongue's effect on the person on the person, individually, on what they do to the person whose tongue we're talking about. But now he moves to speak to the effect beyond the person. That person does not control their tongue, how it affects others. Forest fire, he talks about, during the dry season in Israel, the grass, the low thorn bushes, and the scrubs were as dry as explosive tinder. One spark it spread like a wildfire. We have some experience here in the, in the western United States with that too, don't we? seems like every year we, we hear about devastating wildfires out west. A fire can begin with a small spark, and it can grow to destroy an entire city. On October 8, 1871, at about 8.30 p.m., a lantern in Miss O'Leary's barn presumably kicked over by her cow, ignited the great Chicago fire. And, the, and because that fire spread, 125,000 people were left homeless. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. And 300 people died. It cost the city over $400 million. Fire has the amazing and unique capacity to reproduce itself in an almost unlimited way, as long as it has fuel to burn. Our words can start fires, and our words can feed them. Proverbs 26, 20-21, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a conflict ceases. Like charcoal for embers and wood for a fire... So is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. How is your tongue? Do you start or feed fires with it? 
They can ignite others to join in until it becomes a raging wildfire, burning out of control. Left unchecked, it can create devastation beyond our imaginations, way beyond what we ever intended. Sometimes we think we're only going to, to burn that one person, but that fire can spread way beyond them, to their family, the people that they touch. Fire is hot. Like a fire, the tongue can heat things up too. David had a temper, and he needed God's help in controlling it. In Psalm 39, 1 and 3, he said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. See, sometimes instead of diffusing a situation, we can make it worse because of our words, right? Sometimes we can say things that when we're mad that we may come to regret later. But unfortunately, it may have started a fire that begins to spread. The thing about fire is how destructive it is. Even if it doesn't consume everything, even, even if it's put out, it leaves nasty evidence that it was there, doesn't it? It's because fire defiles. It says, James says, staining the whole body. The sooty residue covers everything. It stains the whole body. The smoky smell permeates everything. Has anybody been in a house that was on fire? Hmm? You could smell it, right? It's there. The fire's gone, but you could sure tell it was there. There are multi-million dollar businesses built on trying to remedy those effects in the homes and businesses. Satan uses the tongue to divide people, to pit them against one another, to destroy homes, relationships. Idle words are damaging because they, they quickly spread destruction. We shouldn't be careless with our words, thinking that we can apologize later that it'll all be okay. Because even when we do, the damage remains. The damage remains and lingers. Few words spoken in anger can destroy a relationship that took years to build. Years to build. Destroyed by one careless word. Like a wildfire, they can burn uncontrollably, way beyond where we thought they would go. James says it's a world of unrighteousness, a world of unrighteousness. It has the ability to grow farther, grow way bigger, and defile and destroy way more than we ever could have imagined. He says, setting on fire the entire course of life. The uncontrolled tongue can set our entire human existence on fire. The word course in the Greek is torchon. And it means a wheel. In the Greek, that's what that word is. Course means a wheel. So it's better translated the circle of life. It can set on fire the entire circle of life. This underscores the, the tongue's evil can extend beyond the individual to affect everything in his sphere of influence. 
Everything in our life is connected, right? The tongue can destroy all the good we've built up over a lifetime. While we may have ministered for years and years and see abundant fruit, we can undermine or undo the good we've done. To a large extent, we're known by the way we talk. Over the long haul, what we say gives others a a pretty good idea of who and what we really are. The words we speak have the power to uplift and destroy. The good we can do can be undone by, by careless words of gossip and slander, lying, false accusations, or, or filthy language. Our words can embarrass, humiliate, and shame. They can break hearts, ruin reputations, destroy individual lives, families, schools, churches, and communities. Sometimes to the very ones we've tried to minister to in the past. It can, call, it can call everything that we've done in the past into question. I thought they were this, but they told me that. But now, look at them. We hurt our own lives with our tongues, too. We get ourselves in all kinds of trouble because we're not slow to speak. Remember that from chapter 1, verse 19? We deceive ourselves and our religion is worthless if we don't bridle our tongues, James already told us. We need to see that our tongues are corrupting us. The words that we say corrupt our hearts. When we speak with filthy, crude language, we're corrupting our hearts and our thinking. This has been James' point. The tongue controls the body. When our tongues are foul and filthy, and are not godly and pure, then our bodies will soon follow along. That begins to become the pattern of our life. The things that we say, sooner or later our bodies will follow along. When we gossip and speak malicious words, we become ugly people with dark hearts. When we slander people, we are exposing our cold hearts. Our words darken our hearts, stain our souls, and the effects our entire life. And that spreads to affect and infect those around us, even when we're young. A British nursery rhyme says, I lost a little word only the other day. It was a very naughty word I had not meant to say. But then it was not really lost when from my lips it flew. My little brother picked it up and now he says it too. Right? Careless words affect those around us. It says it's set on fire by hell. Most Christians would would readily agree on the wickedness of certain sins, like like rape or murder or, or hurting a child. Yet we tolerate gossip, slander, deceit, half truth, sarcastic put downs, and other sins of the tongue. As if they're no big deal. James says that all sins have their origin in the pit of hell. They defile the one committing them, and they destroy others. As a believer in Christ, you must confront these sins in yourself. You must confront these sins in yourself. And you must be bold enough to confront them in others. 
James goes on to use a, an analogy from the animal world. At the circus, we've, we've seen trained elephants, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? We've all seen that. Go to SeaWorld, you've, you've seen trained whales, dolphins, and seals. How many people have turned on TV shows like Caesar Milan, you know, and, and he, how he comes in and he trains that, that misbehaving dog? The Horse Whisperer, many shows on TV. We have been able to train all kinds of wild animals. But James says there is one beast that no human can tame. The human tongue. James doesn't say that it cannot be tamed. He just says no human can. Only God can tame it as the Holy Spirit works within us. Over time, the fruit of the Spirit will appear. The fruit of the Spirit includes love and patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. These all relate to the control of our tongue. Tame this terrible tongue, you must walk daily in the Spirit, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, what 1 Corinthians 10.5 tells us. He adds, it's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Being restless means that there is never a time when it sleeps. There's never a time when it sleeps. So you must always be on guard against it. And being full of deadly poison, you should handle it as cautiously as you would a vial of anthrax. Now it seems also that the tongue is almost compared to a venomous viper, which has a split or forked tongue. This thought leads to the final point as we try to control and tame our tongues. We've seen that we need to recognize the warning of accountability the disproportionate power it has over a person, the destruction it causes, how it affects others. Next, we must recognize it reveals the hypocrisy of the heart. James not only tells us that we sin by what we say, but what we say reveals how sinful we are. He points out a a gross inconsistency that he has no doubt observed. Christians say, praise the Lord, in one breath. In the next breath, they say evil things about another person, even though that person is made in the likeness of God. They'll sit in church singing hymns to God. No sooner get out the door. They'll say, did you see so-and-so? Oh, she drives me crazy. She is such a hypocrite. Do you know what he did? Doesn't it bother you that we can be praising God right now, but in less than an hour, we can be cursing the driver who cuts us off as we're driving home? Hmm? They should. That should bother you. We need to feel the full force of James' words. James gets very direct. My brothers, these things shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. This is just plain wrong. This is connected back to the double-minded person in James 1.8 who's unstable in all his ways. It shows that we're not fully dependent or loyal to Jesus. 
We have not surrendered our tongue to Jesus. We've decided not to bridle our tongues. We just speak our minds. We cannot be God-focused and have a critical, filthy, or impure tongue. Our words of worship should condemn our consciousness for the things we've used our mouths for this week. How is it that our mouths are praising God when we've said kinds of things that we've said to other people this week? Think of yourself. What are some of the words that you used yesterday? How can our mouths claim Jesus to be the Lord when last week we said all kinds of things that undermine that claim? They show the opposite. Jesus is Lord of my life. And yet we act in a way that shows that he clearly is not Lord of our life. We should listen carefully to ourselves. And then we should determine to do something about what we hear. James uses two more analogies to point out that what often happens among Christians is contrary to all of nature. And he asks some rhetorical questions. Verse 11, James compares our tongues to a fountain. Does a spring send out fresh water one minute and bitter water the next? Then he asks in verse 12, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? And then he gives the obvious answer. Of course not. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James draws no conclusions from his illustrations because his illustrations, his conclusions are so obvious. What James is saying is that the tongue only reveals what is at its source. Jesus stated it very plainly in Luke 6, 43-45. Luke 6, 43-45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What does your tongue reveal about what lives within you? Is your speech consistent with your claim that Jesus is Lord of your life? Or does it reveal a hypocrisy of your heart? Proverbs 4.23 exhorts us, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of of life. Watch over your heart with all diligence. So what is the point with these last examples James gave us? A disciple cannot have a mouth that speaks curses and hurtful words, inconsiderate words, impure words, or words that do not build up. James 
implication is very clear. Springs do not produce fresh and salt water. Christians, true Christians, do not speak blessings and curses. Fig trees don't bear olives. And Christians don't allow their tongues to go unchecked or uncontrolled. If you do, can you lead you down a path you may have never intended to go? A man visited the home of John D. Rockefeller. And he was impressed in his game room where he had all his mounts. There was a large fish mounted on the wall. And below it was a plaque. And this is what it said. If you had kept your mouth shut, you would not be here. Words that we should take heed of. How many times do our words put us in a position we never wanted to be? We need to be diligent to work, tame our tongues. We do this as we recognize the warning of accountability for how we use our tongues. We will give an account for every careless word that we give. We need to recognize the disproportionate power it has over a person, how it can steer your life. We need to recognize the destruction it causes, how it affects others. We need to recognize the hypocrisy of the heart that it reveals. You want to tame the tongue, the place is to start with your heart. The same is true of every sin. The same is true of every sin and behavior. Always a heart issue. We do that work daily at taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us. Walk daily being led under the control of the Holy Spirit, as Galatians 5.18 instructs us. Be transformed by renewing your mind, Romans 12.12, or 12.2. Store the word in your heart so that you don't sin against God, Psalm 119.11. Remember James 1.19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We need to live by Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for, for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. If you're ever in doubt about what to say in a situation, remember the words of David in Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now someone has said, many things are opened by mistake, but none so frequently as one's mouth. To be shown as mature Christians, we must learn to tame our tongues. We need to give God our heart and our tongue each day and ask Him to use it to be a blessing to others. Amen? He gave us our tongue so that we could speak. We're to go forth and make disciples. Amen? 
what we're here for. It's a mission that we're given. We need to watch our mouth. We need to tame our tongue so that we don't undermine everything that we do. So that we don't damage or destroy others. We need to give God our heart and our tongue each day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again in awe of your word. And Father, we recognize that James speaks so clearly to a problem that we all, all face. No one is perfect here, Father. We all have stumbled. We all have struggled with this. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Father, that you would search our hearts. Father, each person here, I pray as they leave here today, Father, that you would, you would search them. Father, that they would search themselves and recognize the areas that they have, have sinned against you in this way. The, way. the areas that they have sinned against others by the words that they have spoken. How they have used their, their tongue to tear down instead of building up. And Father, that we would all turn from those things. We would recognize that it reveals the hypocrisy of our heart. Father, I pray that you would give us a a boldness to, to do the things that we need to do to make the changes in our lives. Father, that we would hold one another accountable to those things, Father. And that we would use our mouths, we would use our tongues the way you intended to build up, to encourage, to share the gospel message with the world. Father, we pray that your spirit would live within us and help us to accomplish that for your glory. We give you thanks for how you will do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.